0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning. good morning. Something that you may not know about me is that I really like to play chess. Uh, I'm not very good, but the game just fascinates me. And so, if you like to play, I would love a game or two. Uh, I'd love for you to beat me and teach me. Uh, the other day, I was playing online against a player who I should have beaten, uh, at least according to his rating. Uh, his rating was even lower than mine, which actually is really kind of hard to do. But um, uh, So I, I actually, because of his low rating, I didn't really pay attention to what he was doing. Uh, I was paying attention to how I could very cleverly pick him apart. Because I was not paying attention, I fell into a trap. And it was the most basic, elementary uh, trap that you could imagine. It was embarrassing. I know how to do that trap, uh, but apparently I don't know how to recognize the trap when it's being done to me. Uh, And I was checkmated in eight moves. Eight, eight moves. Uh, I mean, even if you don't know about chess, you know that that is, that is pretty bad. Um, I wasn't paying attention, and I fell into the trap. I never saw it coming. And I bring that up because of our uh, passage from the Gospel of Luke, just an incredibly famous passage, super well-known, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Lots and lots of churches and hospitals are named after this parable, and uh, quite a few RV parks, uh, I, I believe, as well a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. And he's trying to lure Jesus into a trap. Jesus is Jesus, and he doesn't fall for that trap. What I want you to see is not just that Jesus checkmates the lawyer so elegantly that I don't think the lawyer ever saw it. But I want you to see that you and I might also fall into a trap when we are reading this beloved parable. So if we read it quickly, if we read it without giving it much thought, then it can affirm our assumptions that Christianity is really just about being nice. It's mainly about loving your neighbor. The humble Samaritan cared for the poor, beaten up man, and so you just go and do likewise. And since most of us consider ourselves to be pretty nice people already, we feel affirmed. this quaint parable, and so we move on unscathed and unchallenged. But that is not at all how we should read the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, that is the trap that we can fall into. So the lawyer stands up and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that sounds like a pretty important question, doesn't it? I mean, presumably, if there is life after death, we want to be there for it. And in fact, we would like to be on the good side of it. And so, what do we need to do to make that happen? Now, remember, the lawyer is testing Jesus, he already knows the answer, he is sure. But there's a category mistake just in the question. If I were to ask my father, what must I do, dad, to inherit my portion of your estate? He wouldn't understand the question. Inheritance is not a matter of doing anything, right? It's, it's uh, you are qualified for inheritance by who you are. So my dad might say, well, all you must do is to wait patiently until you're Mother and I are gone and, you know, maybe not bring this up again. um, But when it comes to things eternal or things religious, and especially if we are dealing with that pernicious assumption that our Christian faith is really just about being nice and loving, we want to know what we have to do to make it in. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer is an expert in the law of Moses, very intelligent, and so he knows what answer he's looking for, and he wants to see if Jesus answers it correctly. But as he often does, I mean, really, what did the lawyer expect? Jesus answers the question with a question. Jesus says, you're an expert. What does the law say about that? And I think surprisingly, The lawyer switches from offense to defense, and he goes ahead and answers Jesus' question. He gives the two commandments that summarize every other commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, I think surely with a wry smile. Yeah, you just go do that. But the lawyer, expert that he is, knows how high a bar this is. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, every nook and cranny of your mind. Not a lot of wiggle room there. But the loophole might be in defining neighbor so and this is just such a heavy laden uh comment uh by by luke so wanting to justify himself wanting to show himself to be qualified he tries to get back on the offensive and asked and who is my neighbor he came to pick jesus cleverly apart He's not paying attention to how Jesus is moving the pieces. And Jesus puts the lawyer in a checkmate that he never saw coming as he tells the now famous parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I don't need to retell the, the story, but there are a lot of interesting little details. I want to touch on four. Four details. The first interesting detail is that the setting for the story is the road from Jerusalem to Jerusalem, to Jericho. Now you may know that Jerusalem is high; it's up on top of Mount Zion. It's at 2,500 feet above sea level, and and just I mean not far from the sea, right? I mean it's 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 up there. Jericho, on the other hand, is low. Just north of the Dead Sea, it's at about 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem. Was the city of King David, the city of Solomon, the city of the temple and the dwelling place of God. Jericho was the city where the walls came tumbling down, right? Remember that when Jer- Joshua marched around seven times. Jericho was the city that promised a curse for anyone who tried to rebuild it. I mean, any way you slice it, this guy's headed in the wrong direction. Now, the road, actually, that Jesus is referring to is still there, and you can go and see it. And as it descends from Jerusalem to Jericho, it goes through these very steep, narrow canyons. This is probably the canyon that David is referring to in Psalm 23 when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It uh, It was a dangerous, known to be a dangerous road. And so in the story, it would have, it would have been no surprise to Jesus' audience that the man walking by himself got jumped by robbers because he was headed in the wrong direction. Now a second interesting detail has to do with the priest and the Levite. Right? A priest was charged with officiating the temple sacrifice. The Levite was like a temple worker. Both would have been very pious men of a high status in this very religious society. And it, it would have been a surprise to Jesus' audience that a priest and a Levite were walking this road by themselves. Uh, but it would not have been a surprise that if they were there at all, and they came across a man who had been beaten to a pulp, that they would have just hurried past. That would have been no surprise, because these were religious people. They were in God's favor. They were doing God's work. They would not want to, nor would they be expected to mess around with some bloody stranger who was probably in that situation because he was under God's judgment, at least according to their assumptions. And besides, they had already done their duty at the temple. They were they had, Now they were off duty. Right? They were headed back uh, to be with their family. How was this guy on the side of the road any of their business? The religious men passed by because their religion was for them, not to get them to help others. Now the most interesting, third and most interesting and unexpected detail is that the man who does help him is his sworn ethnic enemy. I mean, who knows what this man from Samaria was doing there in this Jewish region, but the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Samaritans were descended from Jews who had married into foreign nations and they were considered by the religious elite like the lawyer who was questioning Jesus, they were considered to be impure half-breeds who were theologically compromised and proudly so. If Jews ever had to travel north from Jerusalem, they would usually take the very long route way out of the way to avoid going through Samaria. And just a couple of weeks ago in our Gospel passage, we heard about Jesus taking His disciples right through Samaria, and the Samaritans were terribly rude. The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. If Jesus were telling this parable to the Jews of the 1940s, He might have said, but a German soldier, while traveling, came to, them, came to Him. He is purposely, Jesus is, Purposely making their skin crawl. He is making the hero of the story someone they could not have imagined could be a hero at all. Jesus is not simply showing them what kindness looks like. He's showing them kindness from the most unexpected place possible. Love from one that you would have rejected outright. It is the Samaritan who crosses the otherwise uncrossable social boundaries to save and restore. It is the Samaritan who sacrifices his time and his preconceived notions and his money to care for this wounded man. It is the Samaritan who treats the man with dignity, who cares for him as a human, who saves his life when he could not save it himself. Jesus asks the lawyer, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Checkmate. There's nowhere for the Jewish lawyer to go. He never saw it coming. So he answers the question honestly, and I think in a way that It shows that he understands just how high the bar is that Jesus is raising and and, and he gives us our last interesting detail because we might expect him to answer saying, well, um, I think the one who was his neighbor was the one who showed him kindness or the one who took him to the hotel. But the lawyer says it's the one who showed him mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not mere kindness. Mercy is when you spare someone a punishment that they deserve. Mercy is is an overwhelming kindness to someone that you'd rather get even with. Mercy is love for someone who has done you wrong. Jesus' audience might have expected that a Samaritan who found a Jew like that would have just finished the job. But no. No. He shows him mercy. I saw a quote this week, and I almost wish that I hadn't seen it. It's kind of been messing with me, and so I'm going to share it with you. The real test of your Christianity is not whether you love Jesus, but whether you love Judas. The real test of your Christianity is not whether you love Jesus. Anybody can love Jesus because Jesus is so great. The real test is have you been so loved by Jesus that you have been infused with his love to the point where you can love Judas? That is the bar that Jesus is setting. That is the mercy of the good Samaritan. So should we go and do likewise? Absolutely. Will we? Probably not. At least not at first. We're more, we are more likely to see ourselves as the good Samaritan, but more likely to act like the priest and the Levite, to be good religious people who happen to be off duty when we come to upon a stranger that needs our help. And I absolutely include myself in that indictment. I'm a priest, after all. But what if? What if we're not supposed to be, not at first, the Good Samaritan? What if because we have been beaten down by the reckless choices of others, and because we have been jumped by the consequences of our own selfishness, because we've been left for dead by life in this world, what if, first of all, we actually need a good Samaritan? What if, first of all, it's not about what we do to inherit eternal life, but that we are rescued to eternal life by the very one we have been rebelling against. What if mercy came from the one who unexpectedly crossed the uncrossable boundary? What if restoration came to us from the very one who came not to get even, but to sacrifice everything? What if mercy came from the one whose property is always to have mercy? What if, first of all, we are the man who's been heading in the wrong direction, and Jesus Christ is the original Good Samaritan? Only then, only when we understand with death that we have been loved and rescued, we have been picked up and put on the mule of God's mercy and taken to the end of his amazing grace, And paid for by the blood of Jesus. Only when we realize that we are the Judas loved by Jesus, only then can we begin to love like that. Only then can we begin to approach loving God with all our heart, and all our soul, and all our strength, and all our mind, and loving our neighbor. Truly, as we love ourselves. Outside of Christ, that bar is higher than we can imagine. With Christ, the bar has been removed completely, and we are freed to share the love that we have received. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that the way to inherit eternal life is just by being nice and loving. Only the children of God get the inheritance. But you are his child, for he has shown you mercy. And in response, in gratitude, grounded in that grace, and in joyful reflection of such love, let us go and do likewise. Amen.